Um, if you've got your Bibles, we're just going to have a couple of short Bible readings, first of all, that will uh, help us just for this evening. So, first of all, from Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. And uh, Matthew 13 is a story called the parable of the sower, sometimes called the parable of the soils. And uh, Jesus tells a story about seed falling into different types of soil. There's the, the soil that, the, the seed that falls on the rocky path. There's the, the seed that falls um, in shallow soil. There's seed that falls amongst thorns and thistles. And there's seed that falls amongst good ground. And uh, on the basis of that, Jesus then explains what the parable means in Matthew 13, verse 18, where he says this, Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell in rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell in good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. And then uh, turning over to Luke's gospel, just another of Jesus' parables. And we're going to read from Luke 15. Luke 15. where we read this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Well, amen, and may God bless his word uh, to us this evening. Um, I, I should explain, I just want to explain this right at the start, that um, I've actually got something wrong with my, my lungs at the moment, and that means that sometimes I'm coughing and spluttering, sometimes um, I, I get a bit breathless, and that's why this uh, stool has been very kindly provided for me. Um, I, I, I'm not sitting in this to look cool, you know, I think some preachers look on them to look cool, but uh, that might just be a necessity later on, we'll see. I think this is actually the revenge of a lot of old people that I used to visit when I started in ministry 30 years ago as an assistant minister in a place called Linlithgow. 
because I was sent to visit all the people who never came to church. And uh, I found that there was a, a particular phenomenon that seemed to happen throughout the Scottish church. And that is that people used to take turns that apparently stopped them coming to church for 40 years or more. And I would go and visit these people and I would hear about this turn that they'd taken. And it didn't seem to stop them getting to the bingo in a Force 9 gale, but it seemed to stop them getting to church for 40 years. And I think uh, this is revenge of all these people that I've made fun of because of uh, talking about their mysterious turns, which at the time seemed to me as, as much mystery as UFOs or chalk drawings on the hillside or, or something like that that I never quite understood. You know, after being in Linlithgow, I went to a, a, a tiny island in Orkney called Stronsey, and um, there, was only, there was more sheep than people. Um, I remember when we came down to land in the plain for the first time, and I was looking for this Tar Macadam strip to appear. And all of a sudden, I just saw the cows and the sheep separating, and we came down in this field. And apart from the man there to welcome the plane, we, we didn't see any people apart from the folk that were giving us bed and breakfast until, until church. And then we actually saw that there were people there. You know, I, 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 looking back, I feel for myself because I was a young minister. All my elders were in their 70s. They were all quite powerful people in the community. You, you need to pray for young ministers going into their first charge that they'll not be swamped. Uh, they had a sort of reverence for the ministry that was sort of real and sort of not. And when it came to church meetings, they would sit in total silence. And I would uh, put something forward. And in the six years I was there, the only sound I ever heard was the oldest of the elders looking at the wooden floor and just going, I never worked out what that meant. <laughs> Did it mean he approved? Did it mean he disapproved? I, I usually tended to say, I think that means approval. And uh, the next day, one of them would come round very servile with their cap in their hands and say, some of the men weren't very pleased last night. And we would have a debrief about the, the meeting. I find it really difficult just finding my feet as a young sort of 23, 24 year old, however young I was. And uh, after a few months, I was really feeling quite lost. And uh, I remember a, a minister who was really open to the Holy Spirit and had not really shared with anybody how I was feeling. And he flew over to the island at his own expense. And he simply said to me, Kenny, I believe that God has sent me with a, a word for you. And the word is this, Kenny, what did I first call you to do? What did I first call you to do? And you know, that really proved to be a word from God for me. Because despite all this sort of discouraging setting, the call into ministry had been so real. I, I just rejoice that we sang tonight when I surveyed the wondrous cross. Because that's where the journey began for me. As a 13-year-old, I went away to Scripture Union Camp, and uh, I thought up until then I was a Christian, I read the Bible, I tried to be good, I said my prayers, but nobody in the church I went to had ever told me 
about the cross of Jesus Christ. I'd never heard words out of Isaiah that said, all we like sheep have gone astray, we've turned every one of us to our own way. I'd never heard the, the words that come after that, that the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. And it just struck me with such force that I immediately surrendered my life to Jesus at that camp. But also that was where the call to ministry began because my feeling was, why has my minister never told me this? Why has he never told me about the cross of Jesus? Why has he never told me the way into heaven? Why has he never told me that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son? that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And you know, we mustn't forget that way into the kingdom. My, my father died about three months ago, and um, his faith was always just very real, very profound. He, he came to, to faith in the Billy Graham days in Scotland back in the 1950s. And then later on, he was filled with the Spirit and became a raving charismatic and uh, at the end of his life, uh, it was really very funny, very moving, quite tear-jerkingly moving, because he was a wee bit delally with all the medication, but he was singing at the top of his voice about his friend Jesus. And he would be singing in tongues, he could never sing in tune, so he would be singing these most discordant tongues in his hospital bed. And the nursing staff would come in. And they would be pr privileged to hear not only these discordant tongues, but then he would interpret his own tongues. And it was always about Jesus, his best friend, who had laid down his life for him. And he would say to the nursing staff, do you know Jesus? He said, you know, it's wonderful to have him as your friend. We must never, ever forget to survey the wondrous cross where the Prince of Glory died. You know, I went into the ministry because I found that there was a liberal church that did not preach the message of salvation. Can, can I tell you, quite honestly, I've got a fear that in the renewed church we're not preaching that message enough. Just the message of the cross of Jesus. And I just wonder, could it be that there's people here and you know all about healing, you know all about prophecy, you know all about things that are common in renewed churches, the work of the Spirit, and so on. But can I ask you, have you ever been to Jesus? We, we, we sometimes malign that old thought, are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? I'm not sure that we should make fun of that. It's the only way of salvation of our sins cleansed by the blood of Jesus at the cross. You might have a ministry in this place. You might have a ministry in your church. That minister of my own home church had a ministry. But he didn't seem to know the gospel of salvation. Can I ask you, have you ever been to the cross? Have you actually come to the cross? Have you actually seen that there's no other way to eternal life? other than that Jesus laid down his life for you. You can never get there by your own efforts. I was in Pakistan not terribly long ago, and I was told before I went 
By the way, this isn't the message I prepared, so we'll just wait and see. I may never come back to these passages that we read. And I'll just get that mystery out of the way right now in case you wonder where have they gone. We might never find them again. We'll just see. But I was out in Pakistan, and um, before I went, I was told, now, you're going out to speak to pastors, but you're not allowed to evangelize because evangelism is a, uh, an, an offense punishable by death. And I got out there and I met this amazing bishop, an Anglican bishop, Azad Marshall, who's bishop of Iran and the Gulf States. And as soon as I arrived, he showed me where the pastor's conference would be taking place. Then he showed me into a tent that seated about 3,000 people. And he said, this is where the evangelistic meetings happen this week. And I said, but I've been told that's not legal. I said, is it legal? And he went, well... It's not legal, it's not illegal, which didn't exactly comfort me. Do you know people in that Muslim sort of country came to faith every night? I'm not saying that because I wasn't the only preacher, but people came to faith every night. Knowing what that might mean to them the next day. I found that in that setting with people from Iran and all sorts of countries, these pastors were speaking about torture and kidnap the way that British people speak about the weather. Why do people come to faith in Jesus Christ in that type of setting? It's simply because they see the truth. There's no other way to eternal life. There's no other way to salvation. In a Muslim country where you're taught that by observing certain principles, somehow you'll gain paradise. The gospel message is completely different. It's not a ladder by which we climb up. Jesus came all the way down. He laid down his life on the cross for you. Could it be that hiding amongst renewed churches, there are people who have never been to the cross of Jesus? never receive forgiveness, never receive the free gift of God, eternal life in his son Jesus. Maybe you've come tonight with a friend. Maybe this is all sort of new to you. Maybe you thought that when you came here that this is the way it works, that if I'm good enough I'll get into heaven one day. It's not the way it works. Sometimes when I go into school uh, back in the the primary school back in, in uh, Edinburgh, if I'm speaking to a class of five or six-year-olds, I just do something very simple. I take my hand and I put whatever I've got in my pocket, keys or money or whatever, I just take my hand and I say, there's your life and there's, there's your sins. And then I hold up my other hand and I say, there's Jesus. And he came into the world to take all of your sins upon him and take them to the cross and pay for them with his life. And then I say to them, where are your sins now? And they look at you as though you're doing some Paul Daniels magic trick or something. So I do it again. I say, there's your life and there's your sin. And Jesus came into the world and says, I'll take your sins upon me and I'll take them to the cross and pay for them. Where are your sins now? And they get it they see that they're not in them anymore, that Jesus has taken them. I wonder if you're in this gathering 
We've been singing about the cross, but actually you've never heard that message, the good news of your salvation. Maybe you need to hear it tonight. And just know that forgiveness, all your sins being washed away, so that where you're going to spend eternity is no longer an issue because your sins have been taken from you and removed from you as far as the east is from the west. So that's what the original call to me was. And this man, Alan Cowson, came to me. And in this setting where I wasn't very sure what to do, that was such a word from God, just what did I first call you to do? And I knew that Jesus had called me to declare the cross. But I felt coming here tonight that actually for you as a gathering, that that was a a word that God wanted uh, maybe some of you to face up to tonight. What, What did God first call you to do? I find that uh, all over the world there's lots of exciting things happening spiritually. That's good. But I felt that when I was coming here tonight, I just felt when I was uh, on the train on the way down, that God put the word hijack onto my mind. There's a great danger that with all the good and new things that are happening, that somehow you get hijacked for somebody else's calling, somebody else's vision, rather than fulfilling our own vision, our own calling given to us by the Lord. It's really, really important that we move through life with a sense of purpose. And one of the things that can keep the rudder straight, as it were, and the ship moving forward, is just to hold on to a sense of call from God. And to judge everything that we do, everything that we get involved in, by that original call. Now this is a a large gathering and it may be that for, uh, there may be as many separate calls as there are people here. But all of us are here under the banner of new wine. And that means that there is actually a sort of shared call, a shared understanding of what we're about in this world. You know, I was converted at 13, and uh, I've just told you about that. But actually, one of the most significant advances in my Christian life came through another prophetic word. It was an Assemblies of God pastor, sorry, an apostolic church pastor. And I was living up in the far north of Scotland. He lived in Comarnock. It was about 280 miles away. And he phoned me up one day. He'd never met me in his life. And he said, Kenny... I've prayed for you for years and I've got a prophetic word for you. Can I meet you in Inverness, which was maybe 200 miles from him and 100 and a bit, or 100 a bit less from where I was. So we, so we met up. And he said, Kenny, God's about to put you in a new network of relationships. And then he said, it's got something to do with new vintage. But he, I, I don't know what that means. What he didn't know was the day after meeting him, uh, Mike Breen had asked me to meet me and meet him in Aberdeen. And he actually asked me would I be involved in the setting up of New Wine Scotland. I was really glad to do that, and I'll tell you why. Mike was my first contact with New Wine, and uh, I'd heard him speaking in Glasgow. 
And he reminded me of an aspect of the cross that I had not yet discovered at the age of 13. You see, I think that the cross that I discovered at 13, which I never want to lose sight of, was about what I'd been saved from. I was saved from my sins. I was saved from hell. I was saved from eternal death. But I don't think I'd ever really discovered what I'd been saved into or what I'd been saved for. And to me, the emphasis of new wine was equally a moment of revelation as when I first heard about the cross. Because Mike Breen just took us in this gathering in Glasgow. He just asked us a very simple question. What do you think the gospel is? And I think that in that Scottish gathering, I think Mike knew this, probably not one of us were actually able to explain the gospel. All of us would have said the gospel is that Jesus died for us and if we believe in him we have eternal life. That's absolutely true. But it's not the gospel that Jesus declared. Jesus actually tells us the gospel is this. The kingdom of heaven has come near to you. So heaven is not just somewhere where we go when we die, but actually that future realm of the reign of God in and through the name of Jesus, it actually begins here and now. And that's why there are healings, because in the kingdom we're waiting for and praying for in all its fullness, there's going to be no more sickness. That's why there's deliverances, because in the kingdom to come, the devil is going to be thrown into the lake of fire already prepared for him. And somehow that was like lights going on for me. And I saw that everything that was true of the ministry of Jesus is actually meant to be true of present-day church. So we're not just to know that we're forgiven, but when we meet together in our own lives individually and through our lives individually and corporately, people are actually meant to encounter the God of heaven, that he's close, that he's near, that his power and love and presence are not just something we're going to encounter away in a future eternity, but he can draw near now. Now, if you're all new winers or interested in new wine or have a church connection with new wine, that won't be news to you. You'll know that at the very heart of new wine is that we actually want to see the ministry of Jesus in our local churches, in our local communities, people being healed, people being delivered, people being set free, poor people realizing that God cares for them and wants to draw near to them and help them. That's the core message of the gospel. And it's the core message that New Wine has helped churches and leaders to rediscover. I suspect that we all want that to happen if we're involved in new wine at all. That's something we'll have been awakened to. But what I want us to think for for a few minutes just is, 
is how can that happen more and more? How can that happen more and more? Because when I read some of the parables of Jesus, I see that the kingdom is meant to be a growing thing. It's meant to be an expansive thing. And in the first reading that we had from Matthew chapter 13, you might just want to turn from there, because I hope that we'll find some clues here this evening as to how to know more of the kingdom in our life and more of the kingdom in our churches and more of the kingdom through our ministries and into our communities. I want you to notice something that sometimes is overlooked, but it's actually the key to the whole understanding of this parable. Do you remember I said Jesus told a a parable of seed that fell amongst different types of soils? And then he gives the explanation. And sometimes we just quickly gloss over what he says, first of all. Let's just read from verse 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom. Now, let me just pause there. I think I've usually heard this parable being spoken about as to what happens when you're listening to the word of God being preached on a Sunday or when you read the word of God in your own private devotions and then we interpret the parable from that starting point. This parable is not about how you hear the Bible. This parable is not about what you do with all biblical truth. It's specifically a parable about what can happen to the message of the kingdom. The kingdom being near us now, all the signs of the kingdom, the presence of the future in the now. What happens to that message? That's what the parable is about. And according to Jesus, several things can happen to that message that can render it ineffective rather than fruitful. So let's just read on. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom, so the God of heaven is close in his power and in his strength and in his love, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is a seed sown along the path. Some of what I've been given, I believe, to say tonight is very basic. How how much time are you giving to understanding the kingdom? Jesus says here, if we don't really think this through until the place it's really into our system, then effectively we hear this precious word, this amazing word that the future, the kingdom of heaven, we can have a taste of it now. But if we don't really get it into our understanding, then it's like the devil coming and snatching it away, the way that the birds of the air would take away seed that falls on a path. I I know this maybe sounds very basic, but it's what I feel God's given me to say. Are, Are you spending time with Jesus Christ? Letting him teach you the mysteries of the kingdom. He said to his disciples, you know, these mysteries aren't for everybody, but they are for you. And if you're following Jesus, then he wants to teach you the mysteries of the kingdom so that that message becomes more effective in our lives. 
I was speaking in a conference not terribly long ago. Let me describe the picture. And when God gives you something, you have to share it. And uh, whether it's palatable for people to hear or not. But I saw this venue, and I saw that there was somebody on the stage, as it were, and they were preaching and they were sharing their story. And then I noticed that Jesus was in the wings behind the curtain, waiting to come on, waiting to come center stage. Because he's meek, he didn't push his way on. Because he loves people, he was listening with great interest to this person sharing their story. He was quite happy that others were being blessed through this story. And at the end, after this person center stage had shared their story, everybody clapped and Jesus clapped for them as well because they'd done well. But then everybody went home and Jesus was left in the wings. How much place is there for listening to Jesus Christ as our teacher, one of his main titles? I think in the Renewed Church we hear a lot about how to do life, a lot about how to build the kingdom, we hear a lot about the story, we hear a lot of stuff about a lot of things. But I wonder how center stage Jesus is. I can't be more basic than this. Is, is there time in your day, each day, where you simply let Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, be your teacher and help you grow in the things of the kingdom? The church I was brought up in, after I changed churches, I found they were actually a wee bit oppressive with this daily devotional type of routine. It may be that there's some of us here, uh, and we know actually we'd be ashamed if people here knew that actually we're not reading the Bible, uh, and we're not praying, and we're, uh, that, that just became dry as dust to us. C can I give you an idea? Why A Pentecostal pastor helped me when I'd lost my appetite for God once. He said, just begin again. He said, Kenny, just, just take 10 minutes to be happy in God at the start of a day. So just read a few verses. Shut the Bible. Ask Jesus to speak to you through them. Turn it into prayer. Thank him. And then just go on your way. Are you putting too much of a burden upon yourself? Do you need to go back to the start? I'm not saying that you stick with 10 minutes, though. Just see where that leads. Are you filling yourself with the latest podcast? Nothing wrong with that. But where's the space just for Jesus and you? Just for him to speak to you directly. He wants to do that. And according to him, you can hear him. My sheep hear my voice. I read a, a story about a Greek wrestler called Milo, and uh, he once placed a bet, made a bet with someone that he could lift a, a full-grown bull above his head. And somebody took the bet on, and uh, he did manage to lift a full-grown bull, but this is how he did it. 
he first of all lifted a newborn calf. And he lifted that calf every day of its life. And his strength just built up as the size of the, the calf and it grew into maturity and eventually became a bull. And so eventually he was able to lift the bull. Don't whip yourself if the Bible's become dry and dusty. Don't go away feeling guilty if actually time with the Lord is something that's not just happening anymore. Go back to the start. Take 10 minutes to be happy in God at the start of a day. And just listen for his voice. And he'll help you grow. He'll help you grow and to understand his kingdom. What about the next seed? Let's just uh, look what else can happen to the seed of the kingdom. The one who received the seed that fell in rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root... He lasts only for a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. Do you need to remember that actually the, the word of the kingdom is not an unopposed word? Do you need to make a resolution that no matter what, I'm going to live for the kingdom? Whether it's favorable or unfavorable to me, I'm just going to live for the kingdom. Do you need to realize that if you want to grow in the kingdom, you have to take risks? You actually have to live for this publicly. You have to be not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Must have been very tempting for Paul when he was thinking of going to Rome you know, the center of political power and center of the legal system and all sorts of things. It must have been very tempted for him to think, well, when I get there to Rome, to that place of sophistication, that this gospel that I've been preaching elsewhere, I'll, I'll maybe have to make it a wee bit more sophisticated once I get there. But he didn't do that. He said he wasn't ashamed of the gospel. It was the power of God unto salvation for, for anybody, for everybody, everywhere. And he wasn't going to hide it. After this parable of the, the soils, we get Jesus saying, no, nobody lights a light and then just puts it under a cover. It's meant to be lit so that anybody who comes into the house is actually affected by that light begins to see actually that maybe they are in darkness in the power of that illumination. Are you needing to take a risk for the kingdom? Are you willing to take that risk? I just think of these believers in uh, Pakistan and it sometimes makes me ashamed when I think of times I've remained silent because I know if I speak, then it may not be too comfortable. I, I think I'm really saying, is, is it time for us to get a wee bit more in your face with people? I, I find Wester Hills, an urban priority area in Edinburgh where I minister, I, I'm from a very sort of 
gentle middle class background they've really taught me how to be in your face there was a, a lady who was uh, at a social work hearing and um, her child was going to be taken away from her and uh, because she was being judged in her past record I, I don't judge the social work for feeling that was the appropriate thing to do they didn't believe in conversion they didn't believe in changed life and we, we tried to say how this lady had changed and we, we tried to convince them but we weren't successful uh, and on the way out this lady met real opposition one of the social workers got hold of her and said um, so much for your God eh? and the church worker that had gone along to the meeting with her just said you know Heather just, just stay calm stay calm and the church worker just said um, to the social worker oh we'll, we'll be praying we'll be praying they came back to the next hearing and they'd done assessment they'd seen how the lady's life had changed they'd seen what support she was getting from the church and the decision was overturned but this is Christianity Wester Hale style rather than just accepting that joyfully and politely Heather slapped the social worker on the shoulder as she was leaving and said that's what my God can do hen is it time to get more in people's face and, and we can justify the sort of softly gentle approach by saying we don't want to offend people we don't want to put them off we'll just influence them by our lives all that type of thing sometimes it can be a smoke screen for I'm too afraid to speak out this message of the kingdom and the way into it I can't remember if I shared at New Wine I read a story about a person who worked in an office and they thought to themselves I'm not going to say because that will just bring needless opposition I'm just going to live my life and people will see the effect and they'll see something different they'll ask me what is it about you well they did that for three years and eventually somebody said to them you seem to be different from everybody else in this office and then they said um, what is it are, are you a vegetarian or something <laughs> but the, the softly softly approach doesn't always work we don't need to cause needless offense by stupidity but the gospel is an offense the cross is an offense always has been always will be but if we want to see the kingdom expanding do you know what we just need to remain faithful in the face of opposition what else does Jesus say can happen to this amazing message that the God of heaven is close and can manifest his power and love in people's lives he said well he says well it can get choked it can fall among thorns and thistles and that just chokes the seed and he describes that as being to do with riches and the, the, the worries and the concerns of life friends I don't know what the, the worries and concerns down here in this part of the world will be they may be different from the worries and concerns um, up 
in, in the parish that I minister in. But I wonder if a lot of people's concern, and sometimes this is what chokes the word of the kingdom, is that we get so concerned just as the world gets concerned about money and making ends meet and all that type of thing, that that becomes obsessive in terms of our time, in terms of our thought, in terms of our planning. Wonder how many of us tonight, if we're honest, we think more about money that we have got or we haven't got than we particularly think about the kingdom of God. You remember Isaiah was given a word to say to the people of his day, don't fear what they fear. Don't call conspiracy what they call conspiracy. I wonder if what's stopping the kingdom coming through you or I is just that we're trapped in these sorts of worries. And we need to get rid of them. And we need to simply trust that if we seek first the kingdom of God, if we seek first the righteousness of that kingdom, then everything else will be added to us in order to enable us to live for that kingdom in the kingdom of this world. Friends, do you believe that God, your Father, cares for your needs? There's no need for you to spend time needlessly worrying about material and worldly things. I was at a conference not terribly long ago and I found myself saying to them, you know, I could stand here and tell you stories about God providing a car, a freezer and a wife. And then I thought, that sounds really male. You know, the car, first of all, then the freezer for food, and then, yeah, the wife at the end of it all. Do you believe God can provide anything needful? And that actually can do that abundantly? I, I, I'm, I, I'm not one of these prosperity preachers, but I believe our Father is a generous Father. And that he provides for our needs and he also provides more than that so that we can sow into other people's lives. Are you resting in the fact that your father knows or is worry actually the dominant thing in your life at the moment? Worry can choke the seed. I really did feel when I was coming here that, uh, you know, we're not to have the same worries as the world. And I do think there's somebody here tonight that is really worried that they'll never find their life partner. And if you came along with that particular worry tonight, or that's a particular concern for you at the moment, 
then I believe God's saying, will you trust me with that? Will you trust me that you will? You really will. I got a picture just coming here to this uh, building of a swallow just sitting on its own. I don't think swallows do particularly sit, but it just seemed to be sitting on its own. And another swallow just came in and settled down beside it. And in my picture language, that means a mate. God knows your needs. And you can trust them. You don't need to fret. And fretfulness just takes away the energy that we've got for the kingdom chokes out what we would do for God can't remember who shared at New Wine just to make this personal but uh, when I first met my wife Moraga I knew she was the one for me and, um, but I was too shy to tell her and I, I had this conversation with God I said God you've made me this way so I can't tell her so I need you to tell her and um, I need her to tell me that she feels the same and uh, I want to know within 24 hours and um, the next day we weren't due to meet at all I was at university Morag was at college and uh, we had too much work to do so we weren't going into the church to the Bible study the midweek prayer meeting and so on we weren't due to meet but I got through my work uh, more quickly and went into the Bible study uh, Morag was actually at another church on the opposite side of Glasgow uh, singing at a meeting she turned to the minister and she said I'm terribly sorry I need to go she said I, I need to leave right now and she got two buses across Glasgow to stand outside a church that I wasn't supposed to be in and I came out the meeting wasn't expecting her to be there so walked right past her and it's very romantic it was snowing and she came running after me in the snow and declared her undying love for me. God can provide a car, a freezer, or a wife. You, you, you don't need to worry. And, and worry chokes the seed. It really chokes the seed. And just as we close, all these things that can happen to the seed, you know, make sure you're, you give time just to Jesus to be your teacher day by day. Start even with 10 minutes. Remember, there will be opposition. You have to make up your decision. Now, am I really going to live for this kingdom? Just regardless of what the consequences are. And thirdly, are you going to let the Father take away your worries? so that you can concentrate on seeking this kingdom, making it known, letting it come to you and through you. And just last of all, nothing to do with that parable. Remember why God gives you the kingdom. It's just, it's just the gift of the Father who loves you. Isn't it amazing that we deserve nothing? The only thing that we deserve our own by our own merits as a place in hell and yet God overturns that and he says actually I'm not only going to forgive you simply I'm giving you everything 
giving him a whole kingdom. Why does he do that? Just because he loves you. Jesus says, it's his father's pleasure, it's your father's pleasure, just to give you the kingdom. And you've maybe heard this message of the kingdom time and time again and thought, well, I believe it, I believe it can happen through others or to others, but I don't think I can experience it. I don't think it can grow or happen through me. It, it can because it's a gift of his love to you. Simple as that. If I was to ask you, why does God love you? I want to close with this. What would you say? We read a, a second parable. This will only take me two minutes. That parable of the lost sheep, remember. You know, I've heard that parable being spoken about in terms almost of a health and safety sermon about the looking after sheep. in which the preacher just emphasized that the 99 were safe somewhere. Friends, it doesn't say they were safe. That's the complete opposite. The shepherd just left them in the open country and he went after the one. Sometimes we don't get the parables. What that parable is about is simply this. The love of God for each of us individually is insane. It makes no sense. It makes no sense whatsoever to leave 99 sheep in the open country and go after the one. That's how much God loved you when you were lost. Do you think his love for you is altered? It does make no sense. French Christians have a saying that they say at Easter time every year, the love of God is folly. The love of God is folly. Maybe you're thinking, if you can imagine yourself to be a sheep, maybe you're thinking, well, God will give me his kingdom if, if, if my wool is particularly in good condition. Or he'll, he'll give me his kingdom if there's something about the curl of my horns that makes me stand out from other sheep. If you think God loves this will make some of you more insecure. If you think God loves you because of anything about you, you've got it wrong. God is love. His love is not a reaction. His love is not a response. He just is love. And he loves you without measure and without limit and without condition as Brennan Manning says without regret he just loves you because he loves you and that's why you can receive the kingdom that's why you can know the presence of the God of heaven that's why you can know his healing and his strength and his provision and that's why the kingdom can grow through you. Because it's a gift of his love. Just as everything is. Salvation, forgiveness, eternal life. The kingdom. 
Israel tried to understand the love of God and God effectively came to them and said it's not because you're more numerous it's not because you're particularly special I just love you because I love you that's it when I look back to when I married my wife you know what I would love to say it was all altruistic but part of the reason I asked our father for our hand in marriage was I actually wanted the rest of her as well it wasn't completely altruistic more and more I think even the best of our love is often a response or a reaction to something attractive that we see and hopefully we get beyond that there's quite a bit of that in human love and God's ways are as high above our ways as the heavens are above the earth doesn't need to find something attractive godly in you tonight he just loves you because he loves you and he says I want to give you the gift of my kingdom and for that to happen you know what some of you maybe need prayer tonight for your self image because I suppose I've been a pastor for 30 years and I've come to believe this that if I really want to know what you believe about God I don't need to ask what you know about the Bible I don't need to ask what charismatic experiences you've had I just need to ask you this do you love yourself do you love yourself because I find that self image image of God self image feed into one another Did that cycle go wrong for you somewhere? That you just stopped believing that you were loved full stop? Or let me put it in another way. Where did that cycle go wrong for you? Where did you begin to believe you were loved if or you were loved when or God would be able to use you if or God would be able to use you when when did that sort of thinking come in I was speaking to Mark about some issues I really will close with this speaking to Mark about some issues earlier on that are facing just the church in so many countries and I was remembering actually as we spoke a story of Brennan Manning one of my favorite writers by the age of four he'd never been kissed or hugged once by his mother or father at the age of four he was entered into a, a beautiful uh, boy competition by his mother and he won it he says it was a, a sort of lean year for four-year-old boys in Brooklyn that year but he did win it and his mother threw a party for him she invited all her friends none of his each of them came in and hugged him and he'd never been hugged or kissed in his life and he just was laughing it up and he was clinging to them and she was saying come away from them you're just disgusting eventually one man came in picked Brennan up looked into his eyes and said Brennan you've got beautiful eyes you're intelligent and one day God's going to use you to help a lot of people 
never been spoken that to that way in his life. And he said he just, he could not let that man go. He said he was playing with his hair, he was chewing his ears. <laughs> his mother ripped him out of the man's arms, said, the party's over, go to your bedroom. He's too small to put on the light, so he put his pajamas on over his, his clothes, got under the bed covers. And then this obsessive thought got hold of him. My mother's going to come in here and she's going to take away my party hat, a two-cent party hat. Never had one. And everything in him just wanted to cling on to that hat. So he, he thought, I'll, I'll hide it under the covers and I'll, I'll just say when she comes in to take it away, I don't know where it is. I'll just tell a lie. And then in the darkness, he, he felt Jesus and even as a four-year-old, they found themselves saying to Jesus, what a terrible boy I am. I was just about to lie to my mother. And he heard Jesus say, I don't want to talk to you about that. Why don't you and I just play together? Later on, all this stuff just resulted in him becoming an alcoholic. He's a Roman Catholic priest, ended up an alcoholic in the street. He heard Jesus saying exactly the same words. I, I don't want to talk about that. Why don't you and I play together? Does that mean sin doesn't matter? No, it doesn't. Sin does matter. It costs Jesus' life. But you know what it tells me? It tells me that Jesus knows where sin and responsibility begin and end and where hurt and damage begin and end. He knows where the cycle of self-image, God-image got damaged in you. Was it sin that you're not sure you've repented of and been forgiven for? Or was it damage? Where does he need to pour in his love to you this night? So that you can believe he wants to give you the kingdom. And he wants that kingdom to grow 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold through each one of us. Let's just pray. It'll be good. We'll just remain seated for a moment. And I don't know if we've got worship team folk that can come back. And um, uh, I'm sure there's prayer ministry team or people that can pray. Um, let's just still ourselves in the presence of God.